Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Well, good morning. We're Patty and Brian Eiselstein, and we are going to read the scripture reading for today's sermon. If you want to follow along, it's Luke 10, verses 1 through 24. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to go to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. As the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyra and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyra and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will be lifted to the heavens. No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At the time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son has chosen to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Please pray with me. Dear God, thank you for your scripture and the chance to learn uh, what you have for us and what your plans are for us. Thank you for reminding us that we're not alone, that you sent your disciples out in pairs, and that we should be around to support one another. 
Thank you for always providing for us, no matter where we are. Help us to rejoice in your love, not be boastful or, provide or prideful in your many gifts to us, but be thankful for your love and your, and your grace. We pray that you'll help us see where we can show your love and compassion to all those around us, and help us to remember that your love for us does not stop when we leave these doors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks, Brian and Patty. Hey, by show of hands, where are my married people in the room this morning? All right. A few people. Uh, about how many single folks or dating folks do we have in the room? Show of hands. Anybody around that's in that age group? Some of you not willing to admit it. I see some high schoolers in the room. You are single, all right? Uh, and so, hey, when we are thinking about a dating relationship or any relationship, there comes a moment in time where you have to have some conversations about where that relationship is going, what is happening within the context of that relationship, and what direction are you hoping to see it continue on and progress? When I was a youth pastor and worked with uh, high schoolers and, and college-age students, I would have uh, people all the time who would come to me, especially young men, and just kind of go, hey, you know, I'm, I'm in this dating relationship, college young guys that would come up and go, I, I've met this girl, I'm in this dating relationship, and, uh, and I, I think it's kind of getting serious, but I'm not real sure about what she thinks. Uh, or I really like the direction this is going, but I don't know how to have a conversation with her about taking it to another level so we get more serious. And this is uh, just us, and then maybe there's something even beyond that for a married future. And so we would have these conversations where people would come to me all the time and start talking about these relationships and have a little bit of uncertainty about where they are and what they want out of the relationship. And so occasionally with uh, especially some young guys, I would just go, hey, bro, have you had a DTR? And they would look at me like you're looking at me right now. And they'd be like, uh, uh, what? I don't know. Um, what's a DTR? And I would go, no, you need to have a conversation called a DTR. You need to define the relationship. Like you're in this relationship, but you don't know really what it's about. You haven't set any parameters for it. Are we just hanging out? Are we just friends? Is this going somewhere? Are we more than friends? Or do we have hopes for our future? Are we starting to dream about things to come? You need to sit down and start a conversation that just goes, hey, listen, I want you to know I really like you and I think I see something for our future. Where are you? You need to define the relationship. Right, And so in the passage that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus essentially has this same kind of conversation with his disciples. Now, it's not on a romantic level, that's for sure, but when Jesus meets with his disciples, he starts to ask them questions that we're going to see play out this morning that defines the relationship he wants to have with them, and he's confirming the things that they're doing in their hearts toward him. And so that's where we're going to find ourselves this morning. Uh, and there's two things that are important when we look at the life of Jesus. And we've been following Jesus now from his birth. We're, we're walking through the gospel of Luke and we're going to get to the point where Jesus ends up in Jerusalem at a cross. And then following his crucifixion, we're going to see Jesus triumphantly rise from the dead and ascend back to heaven. So we're following Jesus from the cradle to the cross and then on to his eternal ascension into glory. But there's a few things that we want to really pay attention to about the life of Jesus as we watch him and as we follow him. The first two things that I want to give you this morning are just this. We need to understand two things about Jesus. Number one, the message that he proclaims. 
So one of the first things we really need to grasp is the message of Jesus. We need to understand why that's important. The second thing is the methods that Jesus employs. Jesus's goal and his desire is to make disciples who will carry on his ministry. He knows he's going to die and he's going to leave earth and ascend back to heaven. He's going to send his spirit to be with his followers, but it's going to be up to each and every disciple of Jesus to make disciples of Jesus who know how to make disciples of Jesus. If the church is going to continue on, we need to know these two things, Jesus's message and Jesus's methods. Because if we're going to call ourselves his followers, we have to be able to internally live out the message that Jesus had, and then we need to externally live out the methods that he employed so we do the same things that he did to make disciples. So those are the two things that we really want to get. The message of Jesus is vitally important. We need to know and understand his message so that we know and understand what his kingdom is about. That's what we talked about some last week. Do you really know what my kingdom is about? And do you know how to live for that? And then we need to understand the methods of Jesus, that what he did in investing in the disciples so they would change the world through his same methods. Jesus didn't leave the earth and then his disciples had to sit around and go, okay, guys, well, now what do we do? Like, how do we come up with a structure and a strategy and methods about making disciples? They just went, no, you know what? Jesus has left us with a mission. We know what to do because we're going to do the same thing he has done with us. And they just replicated that. So we need to know the message and the methods of Jesus. Now let's look together at Luke chapter nine, verses 18 and 20 to start. And we're just going to see this conversation That Jesus has. And so he says in verse 18, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you're God's Messiah. Now, we're going to see two great methods that Jesus uses to make disciples in this passage. And I want you to catch this because as we live out the methodology of of Jesus, we need to know what he did so we can replicate it. Two of the things that Jesus did, this is not everything, but two of the things. Number one, Jesus always makes disciples in relational environments. Jesus spends vast amounts of time with his disciples. He spends time in relational environments, investing in them, being with them, spending time teaching them, spending time uh, being around them, spending time answering their questions. He spends a vast amount of time in relationship. And as we follow Jesus, we want to be in close relationship with him and we want to be in close relationship with other people. Discipleship happens in the context of relationships. You cannot disciple someone outside of a relationship with them. It's impossible. You need to be in relationship with others to disciple them. And so what we see Jesus doing is just bringing his disciples around him. Uh, We believe that as we sit in groups together around the word of God, that that's where God transforms our hearts. That's why here at Grace Fellowship, we put so much emphasis and priority on life groups. The, the Sunday gathering, the large group gathering that we do here at 9 o'clock and at 1045, these are great and we value these highly. 
Just as important as we value this time, we value life groups. We want to encourage every single person in our church to be in a small group with people where you can sit in someone's living room or kitchen or in a space somewhere and that you can just sit and enjoy the relationship you have with them and grow in your fellowship and relationship with God as you discuss God's word together, as you pray together, as you live out life together, as you talk about your hardships and your problems in life together, that all of these things help us be transformed and changed. And so we put great value on that. Jesus did this. That's why today we're going to be asking you to sign up for life groups. We're even going to spend time to dismiss a little bit early from our service so that you can go and do that and hang out with some of our life group leaders and talk to people at tables out in our gathering area and that you can just get to know who people are and you can say, hey, when, when do you meet? Where do you meet? What's it look like to be in your group? How do we do this? Do you guys have childcare? Do you not have childcare? Is this a, for married couples? Is this for men? Is this, you know, like whatever. Go out and meet some of our leaders and determine and ask God, where's the best place for you to get involved in a life group, all right? So that's vitally important. Here's the second thing we see Jesus do. Jesus was an intentional leader. Everything about Jesus is intentional. Jesus does nothing by accident. He is so intentional. He brought his disciples into this moment with intentionality, and he has a very specific discussion with them. Now, Mark's gospel gives us even more details about this conversation and fills in even more about how intentional Jesus was. Mark tells us that when Jesus had this conversation with his disciples, that he took them to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's in the northern part of Israel, and it was a place that was set up for emperor worship in the kingdom. It was a place where multiple gods were worshipped. It was very polytheistic in its expression. And this town was a place that you could come. And it was even known as the gate of hell. And part of the reason for that was because the god of Pan was worshipped there. And there was a giant cave that people would go and they would throw things into this cave that seemed bottomless. It was enormous, this huge cave. It's still there today. People would throw things into this cave as a part of their expression of worship. And that place came to be known as the gates of hell. Jesus actually even said at one point in time, the gates of hell will not overcome the kingdom of heaven. And he was referencing back to that moment. He's going, these things that, that heaven wants to bring into earth, even the gates of hell can't prevent that from coming. The things that people worship that go against the worship of God can't prevent that from coming. Heaven will prevail. And so when Jesus has this discussion with his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, he takes them to this intentional place where all of these gods are worshipped. And he goes, hey, let me ask you guys a question. Who do people say that I am? And then he starts to get the responses from the disciples. And here's the first question. Who do the crowd say I am? That's important for us as we think about this this morning. If you're taking notes on our app, just write that down. Who do the crowd say I am? And to be honest, he gets some pretty flattering answers that are here. Jesus hears from his disciples and they, they kind of flatter him. and go, hey, the crowds, when they talk about you, they, they say you're maybe like John the Baptist or, or Elijah or maybe you're one of the prophets of old that's come back. Like They think of you in high esteem, Jesus. When the crowds talk about you, they have a very flattering view of who you are. And it got me thinking that if we ask that same question today in our culture, in our country, or around the world, what would people say about Jesus? And what do people say about Jesus? And we might get some flattering things. 
And we might also hear some pretty not flattering things. There may be people who go, you know what? Jesus was a really good moral teacher. And I don't necessarily believe he was the son of God or anything like that, but I think his teachings should be followed. In fact, I listened to an an interview uh, with Elon Musk not too long ago that he said the same thing. He said, "I, I like Jesus. His teachings should be followed by people. I think that he's got some really great things he says. He's not willing to proclaim Jesus is the savior of the world or his savior, but he says, I like his teachings. I like the things that he said and talked about. He's got good ideas. Other people might say, well, Jesus is an influencer and he's somebody who, who's influenced our world in a really positive way. Other people might say something like, man, you know, he's, he's a good role model. I think that when we look at his life, we should do the things that he did, uh, the way that he valued women and put, put women in a positive position, especially in the first century, uh, the way that he spent time with people, the way that he, he loved sinners and, and didn't cast anybody aside. They, they, Jesus would have been a great role model to follow. But then you might get other people who would go, you know, I, I see Jesus And I kind of think about Jesus as being narrow-minded. I mean, Jesus said some things that I don't necessarily like. He said that there's only one way to heaven. I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father unless they come through me. Right? And so Jesus is so narrow-minded, and he's he's so hate-filled in that way that he doesn't include my path and my journey and my decisions and and my religious understandings, that he just says there's, there's a narrow path to follow. And I don't like that about Jesus. So some people would say Jesus is narrow-minded. Some people might even go as far as to say that Jesus is hateful, that they don't like the things that Jesus was about. People have all kinds of narratives about Jesus, right? And people believe all kinds of things about Jesus, and that's fine. Jesus doesn't seem all that overwhelmed or excited or anxious about the answer he's going to get from his disciples when he asks the question, who do the crowds say that I am? Actually, in this moment, Jesus has been praying in private, but his disciples are around him and he's called them together. I kind of imagine them sitting around a campfire and it's almost like a small group, like we do life group. They're just sitting around talking. And I almost see this question as an icebreaker that Jesus has used in his small group setting that he's created, this relational environment where an intentional leader is trying to have a discussion with his followers. And he's asked them this question just as an icebreaker. Hey, guys, let's just get talking a little bit. Who do the crowd say that I am? And they pipe up and they throw around these things. John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus flips the question. Here's the second question that he asks. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And I imagine around the campfire, they got quiet for just a second. Because Jesus turns this question, he goes, I want to ask you the same thing. Who do you say that I am? Like This is the most important question that you'll answer in your lifetime. This was the question for Jesus' disciples. This is a define the relationship kind of question. Hey, that's great what other people say that I am. What about you? Where are you in your opinion of me? Who do you say that I am? And I love Peter. He's so impetuous. He just jumps into things all the time in the gospels when we see Peter's life. And Peter just, he's that guy in the group. If you're in a life group and you don't like moments of of silence, 
Like we ask questions sometimes and people just sit there and look at us and we just let that pause happen, that moment happen where we're just like, we're just gonna sit in this quiet moment for a minute and let everybody just kind of think on that question that was just asked. Peter was a guy that would never have let a quiet moment happen in your small group, all right? Peter would have been sitting there and go, you answered a question or you asked a question, I'm gonna answer it. And Jesus does, who do you say that I am? And Peter just goes, you're the Messiah, the Christ, the son of God. Like, I got it, I know, this is who I say you are. Like, there's no hesitation, there's no pause, there's no thought. He just goes, you're God's Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting on. You are Christ. And so he has this moment that he doesn't have to even pause and think about. But I want you to be encouraged to answer this question for yourself today. And who do you say Jesus is? Peter's kind of figured it out. And he goes, hey, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, you're the Savior of the world, the one that's come to set us free from our sins. Who do you say Jesus is? I mean, that's such a difficult question for a lot of people in our world to answer. And I think so much about our current culture with those especially who are students. If you're a high school student or a college student, we live in a culture where peer acceptance is so valued that sometimes you might even be quiet about your faith because you know you have peers who don't agree with you. You know you have friends who don't think the same way that you do. And so you have to come to a place where you say, I know who Jesus is no matter what other people say. Peter had just heard, who do the crowds say that I am? And while those were all fine and good answers, he goes, but you're more than that to me. You're the son of God. And so for us, man, if you're a high school student, a college student, a middle school student, if you're working in an environment where most people around you don't believe in God, you're going to have to swim upstream to hold your faith. And to be able to say, no matter what anybody else believes about who Jesus is, this is where I've landed. I believe you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. You're my Savior. And you're my Lord. And so for us this morning, when you ask the question of yourself, who, I, who do I say Jesus is? What's your response? Do you hesitate? Do you have doubts? Do you ask that question and go, man, sometimes I think I've kind of got it figured out and other times I, I just don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about this. And where do you land when it comes to the question, who do you say Jesus is? Make it personal. Maybe you've come to that place where you go, he's, he's my savior. He's the Christ. He's the son of God. He's the savior of the world. He's my hope. He's my light. He's everything that I've been waiting for and everything that I've wanted. So Peter answers the question in a way that shows where he is on this journey with Jesus. He goes, hey, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. And then I want you to check out Jesus's response because it's not what we would anticipate. Like Peter has the right answer. And Jesus says this next, verse 21. But Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. Verse 22 says, and he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priest and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed. And on the third day be raised to life. Now, let me ask you another question. Why in the world after Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of God, God's Messiah, would Jesus go great? Don't tell anybody. 
Doesn't that seem so antithetical to us? That Jesus would go, I'm strictly warning you, Peter, when we leave this campfire, do not tell anybody what you just said. Why? Well, here's why. Because the disciples in this moment, even though Peter and some of the others had figured out who Jesus was, he's the Messiah, they didn't know exactly what that meant. In their minds, the Jewish Messiah was going to be a conquering king who was going to come in the line of David, and he was going to take up the mantle of King David, the warrior king, and he was going to go to war against all those who opposed Israel, specifically in Jesus' life, Rome, who's invaded their territory, and they're living under Roman occupation. And the idea was the Messiah is going to come, get rid of the oppressors, and put us back on the world stage as political conquerors. And we're going to have our own nation again, and we're going to be in charge of ourselves again, and the Messiah will rule on the throne of David, and he will be king over us all in a human king stance. But Jesus hears Peter say, you're the Messiah, the Son of God, and he goes, don't tell anybody. And then it's important in context why the next things Jesus says is this, because the Son of Man, that's a messianic title, from Daniel and from the Old Testament, he goes, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed and handed over and beaten and crucified and he's going to die and then come back to life. And none of the disciples would have had a view of the Messiah that said, our king, our conquering hero is going to go and be betrayed by his own people be beaten up by the Romans, be hung on a cross, and die. That is not the Messiah they were looking for or anticipated. And so Jesus has to tell them, until you understand fully what it means for me to be the Messiah, don't tell anyone. You need to have an understanding and a full grasp of who I am. Now here's the good news for us. The disciples had an incomplete understanding of who Jesus was. We are not under this same warning from Jesus. Jesus is not looking at any one of us today and going, hey, listen, don't tell anybody who I am. Just keep that to yourself. That's private, just me and you, right? Jesus has told us, go into all of the world and make disciples, teaching people, baptizing them, calling all of them into relationship with me. We don't have the same commandment that Peter and the disciples had in this moment because we have a full understanding of who Jesus is. He's radically transformed the way that we think and approach life. So after this moment that Jesus has with his disciples, he ups the stake and he defines even more of the relationship that he wants of those who follow him. So here's the next level, right? Now, if you've ever been in that moment where you've gone, hey, let's have the define the relationship conversation what direction is our relationship going? Are we moving somewhere? Jesus has heard his disciples say, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. He says, don't tell anybody. Here's why. The Messiah is going to suffer and die and do all these things. But then look at verse 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. So what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. 
Truly, I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus gets into this moment where he says, hey, what kind of relationship do I want to have with you? What kind of relationship should you be looking for with me? Because if you determine that I'm your savior, if you determine when you answer the question, who do I say Jesus is? Then he says, there's three things that I want you to know. If you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself. You need to take up your cross daily and you need to follow me. Like that idea of denying yourself, of just saying, man, whatever I want is not necessarily what's best for me. When I become a follower of Jesus, I give him the keys to the car and I give him the driver's seat and I become the passenger. And I say, I'm no longer in charge. I'm not leading this procession. I am not driving this train. You are in charge, Jesus, and whatever you want, I will do. I will deny myself. I'll deny my dreams. I'll deny my hopes. I'll deny the things that I've planned for my life. If you give me different directions, I'll go with you. And I'll deny myself. He says, and then you take up your cross daily. And for Jesus' disciples to hear this, they got it. By the way, this is the first time in Luke's gospel that a cross is mentioned. That Jesus, for the first time, when he starts to talk about this conversation of who do you say that I am? I'm the Messiah. All right, what does it mean to be the Messiah? The Messiah is going to be handed over to the Romans and he's going to die and he's going to die on a cross. And so he tells his disciples, you take up your cross and you follow me. Today and next week, we're going to be in chapter 9. And then we're going to make a sprint from here through the rest of the book of Luke to Jerusalem, to the final week of Jesus' life, and to the cross. But this is Luke's first time mentioning the word cross. And Jesus takes a familiar analogy and he puts a new spin on it. Because you guys are familiar with the cross. What happens with a cross? You've seen it if you're uh, walking around through Jerusalem, through Palestine, through Judea. The Romans will crucify people. This is a, a punishment reserved for the worst offenders. And they would hang people naked on a beam in the side of the road so that when you were coming into an area that the Romans occupied, you would know you do not mess with Rome. If you do, this is what happens to you. You die. And so Jesus says, you guys are aware of what a cross is, but here's what I want you to know. Take up your cross daily. Because you have to die every day to yourself. You have to wake up every single morning and say, Jesus, today I'm going to not be in control. I'm going to die to myself in order to follow you. I'm going to die today, Jesus, to my sinful desires, to my flesh, to the things that I crave and I want, and I'm not going to be in charge. I'm going to die today so that you can live through me. See, that's the important thing for us, is that we need to understand we don't have to live the Christian life. We need to let Christ live his life through us. That we just say, I'm I'm dying to myself today. I'm putting myself on the cross today so that you can live through me. I'm going to put you in charge, Jesus. You have your way. And then the last thing he says is, then you follow me. Just follow me. 
Right, and so for Jesus' disciples, they got this. They understood. He go, what does it mean to follow him? Like literally, if he gets up from the campfire and goes, I'm headed that way, you get up too and you go with him. They would literally follow Jesus, town to town, village to village, location to location. We follow him. So what does it mean for us? For us, it means we understand the things that Jesus did and now we try to do the same things. That we see Jesus love people. We see Jesus bring hope to people. We see Jesus disciple people. We see Jesus teach people. We see the things that Jesus does in the Gospels, and then we follow him. We do the same things. So hold your life up to the Gospels and just say, are the things that Jesus was about the things that I'm about? And if not, where do I need to correct course? What do I need to do differently? Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow me. And so for us today, as we start to close this up, I just want to ask you if you've come to a place where you've kind of figured out and answered the question, who is Jesus to you? And what's important about a relationship with Jesus? And I can only tell you from my life and my experience that It's been the most life-changing, life-giving thing that I could possibly imagine. And I don't follow him perfectly. And I don't know his methods perfectly. And I don't know his message perfectly. But I know his goodness. And I know his heart. And I know his love for me. And I know how he's transformed me. And I know that there's no one else I want more in my life than Jesus. And I hope you can say the same thing. But if you can't, today we'd love to have a conversation with you before you leave and just help you navigate through some of the things that you're asking, the questions you're asking, what you're wrestling with about who is Jesus? Who is he to you? And my hope and my prayer is that you come to a place where you say, he's my savior. He's the Christ, the son of God. And he's changing my life as I follow him. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.